This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Are we ready? I guess not. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. Gentlemen, we are less than 24 hours away you from feel it? actual baseball. You feel it? Do you have that feeling? I have that feeling. I think the feeling you have might still be left over from Target Field Food Day yesterday. <laughs> that might be some of it. But I think it's also opening day. I told Judd this earlier. At Target Field yesterday for food, the food tour that they were giving out for the media, I needed a minute to like gather myself and just breathe some fresh air and not be putting food in my face. Um, so I just, out by that new Gate 34 experience, I just stood by the railing and looked over the field, and the grounds crew was hard at work. Grass was green. You could smell the fresh-cut grass. The skies were blue up on the big Jumbotron. They had the 2019 opening day graphics going. Uh, and this I just, week in baseball. I just got that feeling. Oh, sorry. Do we have that? I don't even Let's know. Let's go we this have. week in baseball. Yeah, I, I, think, I don't know if that might be. Hello, everybody. It's the, Mel Allen. <laughs> Actually, for Rami, we could do. We could, I love this week in baseball. We could troll and do this. <laughs> oh yeah, this is great. Actually, song. before we, because Judd was just Mackie and Judd with Rami. Welcome to the show. Uh, oh, who cares? Welcome about to that. Score North. And Judd just came back from the Rocco Baldelli press conference, and and there was a few interesting things that we're going to get into. But what I loved is you did these videos yesterday, mm-hmm. and and if you haven't seen them, Rami's uh, reviews of. Target Field food items are all over our Score North Twitter account I and Facebook. I sampled 15 food items. I suffered for your yeah. entertainment pleasure. The least you can do is check out that sweet, sweet content. But you forgot to take your, or maybe you didn't, you forgot to take no, your I Cubs did. head off. I forgot. So, And if you look at the Facebook comments, yeah. it's like, it's comments about Rami's Cubs hat and the Polads being cheap and stuff. <laughs> Maybe if they focused more on putting an actual product on the field and less about their hot dogs. So I wear a hat every day to work because I have long hair and putting headphones on and off all day. I just look disheveled and and, and terrible by the end of the day. So wearing a hat is my, my protection against that. But my hands were full when I left the house in the morning. So I just put the hat on my head because I didn't have a free hand to carry it. The plan was to leave it in the car. So when I came into the station, 
I had a hat to put on my head and I forgot to uh, take it off before walking into the okay. field. So right. my apologies. It's not a bad hat though. It's not like it's in your face blue it's with not the bright big blue and red. Yeah. No, I, and so I hope I didn't uh, offend any of the I work with brass yesterday. I, I work with trolls. Judd wears a Blackhawks hoodie every other day <laughs> in here. It's a nice hoodie. That's a great Iowa logo. State hoodie. Hey, you know what? <laughs> if the lo- local National Hockey League team had a, a name or logo that was even close to the Blackhawks, I'd be happy to sport their gear too. <laughs> so you Judd, just sped over here from Target Field, where Rocco Baldelli wouldn't reveal the opening day lineup less than twenty four nope. hours beforehand. No, nope, we're going to wait. Strategic secrecy. No, nope. tomorrow. Tomorrow you'll find out. Why yeah, can't this we find is, out today. You tell me. I like it. You're you're the baseball guy. Yeah, tell me. And just to be clear, it doesn't offend me. I really don't care. But like, when did we get to? When did baseball go towards this direction? Of clearly, there's a feeling it's a competitive advantage or disadvantage to give your lineup out. So what's the what's the thinking here? I just think the less your opponent can know about you, the less they know what to expect, and the more you can catch them off guard and on their heels. I have not, whatever you can keep from the opponent, keep it from the opponent. But what are you really keeping? So let me preface this by mm-hmm. saying I am all for this new Twins regime. I think Rocco Baldelli is going to be a great manager, and so I'm merely just curious. Are you really getting that much of an edge? I can see in football if you've got two different styles of quarterbacks, right? You've got a running quarterback, and a pocket passer, and you don't know which one's going to start. Okay, well, that affects the prep for the week, right? But, like, if I don't know whether Max Kepler is going to bat first or eighth, does that really affect my strategy going into a baseball game, one of 162 games? Maybe not much, but even if it's just, even if it's just in your head a little bit, I, I won. But do, you think Corey, but do you think Corey Kluber's really sweating it out? Right? Kluber's at, at the lows, like, oh my God, who? I don't know who I'm going to face first tomorrow. It might be Kepler, it might not be. It's just, it's sort of weird. Yeah, I like I don't it. Know, I think there's, there's more of an advantage to, like, say, in the postseason, the Brewers did a lot of this last year where they weren't telling anybody who their starting pitcher was as close to, like, 24 hours before first pitch of a playoff game, and then they did the whole thing where that I get. They started Wade yeah. Miley for like one pitch, yeah. so that they would throw their lefty lineup out there or righty lineup out there, and then they they pulled the old switcheroo on him, pulled the rug out from under the Dodgers, yeah, and brought somebody brought a lefty in from out of the bullpen. Okay, that's an effective use, right. I think. Of now, are there any teams around baseball that are going to go with the opener to open the season? I haven't heard anything about that. I know the Rays of are course going they to might. be employing it pretty heavily, but I don't know if they. I don't think they're going to do it for opening it, it day. Could be hush hush though. What if the, what if Barrios? Yeah, what if like what if they start with Taylor that would be Rogers great. tomorrow? I think that would be great if a baseball team did that tomorrow. If somebody did the same thing tomorrow that the Brewers did with Wade Miley in that playoff game yesterday, like say, like say you're going to start J.O. Barrios and then you pull him out after one pitch. I got a question. I, I think that'd be awesome. Okay, so there's some sports in where you announce something. If you're going to start a, a guy a certain time period, you, you've got to start that guy. All right, let's say you did that. Let's say Rocco announced that Brios is going to start, and he ends up pitching. But to your guy's point, he doesn't start. He doesn't face like the first three guys. Would, would the Twins get in trouble for that? As long as they provided Vegas with the proper starter enough ahead of game time for the betting. Because there's any rule against it. But like if you announced right now, Barrios is my guy, and you plan to start him, but let's say he's not going to face the first four guys, there, there's no pushback for that, right? Well, let's go for let's go into like the middle of the season because opening day is this okay. lead up. So let's say it's July 20th. Sure. And uh, you've got back-to-back games and on the probable starters list. It's Jose Barrios on a Thursday, and 
you then, I mean, you have to submit a lineup card and in, that's the, bi- in the three hours before the game that's starts. That's binding. Yes. But let's just say, but let's say the pitching, so you announced before a series, to your point, it's going to be uh, Boreos, Gibson, and a third pitcher. But then Boreos is, does pitch in that first game, yeah. but he doesn't start. No, I think you're. I, I think, think you're you safe up until you submit your lineup card three hours before the game or whatever it is. Now there's two sort of submissions. There's the when the lineup actually gets posted, and then there's when you walk up for the game and you hand it to the home plate umpire. Right. So I don't know. That's a interesting bit of gamesmanship. It's much more effective to to keep your pitcher hidden behind the curtain than like what order your hitters are going to be in. But Rocco's I don't doing. think they're sweating whether like, oh, but Tyler Austin's coming back. And he's gonna, <laughs> he might bat seventh, you know? What else did you learn today from Rocco Baldelli or um, just being around the Twins, Judd? Point one, Buxton. So, so Baldelli would not talk about who he's going to start tomorrow, uh, but he did go into great de- detail on Buxton. And, and I, I think the assumption and the safe one is that Kepler's going to hit first. And so um, it, it was asked basically what's your plan with Byron? And instead of trying to hide things, Rocco went into chapter and verse and said that Buxton is going to, and he didn't say tomorrow, he didn't say a month. He said all season long, our plan is to hit Buxton near the bottom of the order. And then he went on and on about Buxton and, and how well he's done, blah, blah, blah. And then he also came in and said, I should make this clear, too. And we sat down and told Byron this. He's going to play every day. He is going to play. He doesn't have to come here and be like, oh, man, I'm slumping. Am I going to play or not? He made it very clear that he's going to bat 7th, 8th, or ninth. I do believe. And that he is, and I don't know what, what would cause him to come out, but that short of completely collapsing and being awful and unplayable, that Byron Buxton is going to be on the field on a daily basis this season. I like this. It's the opposite of what they did. Was it last year or the year before? It might have been. The, it might have been two years ago. Well, now. He got hurt last year, so it was probably two years ago. Okay, because there was one, one of those two seasons. I think it was the first year Falvey and Levine took over, and they said flat out, "Byron Buxton's our number three hitter." They batted him top of the order in spring training, opening day lineup. He was their number three hitter. They just said. You haven't done anything yet, but you're the guy. And and so they went with the opposite approach, which is we're going to empower you and we're going to tell you how awesome you are and you're going to believe it and you're going to succeed. And he was like over 50 <laughs> in April and it was terrible. And so I, I like this. Now, obviously, if he reaches his peak potential and it's June and he's batting 350, fingers right. crossed. Yeah. Probably have to move him out of the nine spot, but that's a first world problem if you're the twins. But yeah, I hope he didn't mean that we're leaving him in the bottom of the order, no matter what. Like no matter what happens this year, he's gonna be batting seventh, eighth, ninth. Because I I sort of let go of my my hangups about baseball lineups a few years ago because it is a, a, a lot about nothing. But the one thing I do believe in, and Derek preaches this all the time, our twins insider Derek Wetmore. I want my best hitters at the top of the lineup. I want them getting to the sure. plate as many times as mathematically possible. So if if we're a month or two into the season and Byron Buxton looks like he's reaching that potential that we, we've all been waiting for him to reach and he's one of the best hitters on this team, mm-hmm. I'm not going to like if he's sitting down there at 7th, 8th, ninth on a regular basis. It's, it just doesn't make sense for him to get less plate appearances if he's raking. My sense is that they are doing their damnedest to, to try and, and dial down any potential pressure at all, but yet have the pressure of your playing for sure. So it's a balancing act. And so, so their, their philosophy is 
because he's not going to not strike out, I think, is is he's going to hit ninth probably. Kepler won't strike out as much hits first, but but he is a, a pseudo-secondary top guy in, in the order. But they are clearly doing their best to put the pressure on of, you are not coming out, you're going to play, but we're going to put you in as good a position as we possibly can to succeed. So, yes, my guess is if June hits and he's going great guns, he moves. But for now, they they want to make it clear to him that they're going to give him every opportunity to play every single day and succeed as much as possible yeah. with as little pressure as possible of, oh, my God, if you don't do well, this is it. Because if he does not do well in 2019, guess what? You got trouble. Right. There actually, this is it. There actually is a similar comparable case to this. It's not quite apples to oranges. It's a different front office, different manager. And uh, the player in question was not nearly as much of a crisis case. Like, okay, this guy's batting one. Like Buxton's batting 150 right now through about, what, uh, 900 plate appearances? I mean, it's been a while. Delman Young came over to the Twins in a trade in 2008, and he was underwhelming for the first two years. And he was the number one overall pick, and he was supposed to be the centerpiece of the Twins lineup for years and years. And in 2010, first year at Target Field, they said, all right, let's, let's just – hit him at the bottom of the order and just take pressure off of him. So they batted him seventh and eighth to start the season. And it was it's such a guardy thing to not want to mess up the lineup. And I don't want to guardies, you know, guardy would bat Mike Redmond third when Joe Maurer was out because, Oh, we don't want to, if more wants to move, move everybody spot, else around, yeah, right. Uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and so I just pulled this up in 2010, Delman young in the middle of July still, so this, you know, we're second half of the season, and it's past the All Star break, and he was batting three oh five. He was slugging five oh two. Oh, he had thirty five extra base hits already, and it's only the middle of July at this point. He was flirting with the major league record, I think, for doubles at one point in that season, and he was batting seventh. <laughs> I would lose my damn mind on this radio show if that was happening. I would oh, lose Gar- my Gardy mind. would have made you oh. lose your mind. Trust me on it that. Was, Pretty hilarious. In fact, his his last time batting seventh, I'm scrolling down here. He was still batting seventh on July 23rd against the Baltimore Orioles. Now, in fairness, the Twins had Joe Maurer. They had Jim Tomey, who was still raking in his old age. Uh, Michael Kadire was an all-star, and Denard Spam was still really good. So, I mean, it wasn't like they had five trash hitters in front of him, but it is that there's definitely a precedent. The Bucks thing m- makes sense, though. Because this is you. You've got a. They've tried everything possible, and he was was ticked off obviously when he got sent home on September one of last year. So it does make some sense to basically say you're going to play, but there's not going to be the, the pressure of if you don't get on base, it's it's going to cost us. So the philosophy actually could work. It makes sense to take the pressure off of him to start. Yeah, but if he if he but Rami, lo- let's uh, this kid has had trouble before. So I'm with you completely. But you have to, they, they know this too. They have to get him to a spot where he's comfortable as possible because if he is, he's going to be fine. He might not be a superstar, but he's going to be fine. But the flip side now is if he's not, this is it. Like there's not, there's not a 2020, oh, let's take this into 21. So I think the, I think the change in thinking is, is smart. And if he gets hot and plays well, he'll move. But, and that's, exa- that's what I was just about yeah. to say. You have to move him if he gets sure. hot because, because of what you just said, because of the fact that 
if he ever reaches that potential, you need him to stay that player for for this team to be successful in the long run. So to to if he if he starts to reach that potential and make strides this year, you have to see if he can handle the pressure now of going back up to the top of the order and actually people going back to expecting something from him because that's going to be the position if this franchise is going to succeed in the Byron Buxton era, that's going to be the position that he's in where he's he's a player who's up in the upper upper half of your order if not one of the first three spots of your order, day in and day out, who you have high expectations for, who you need to do some big things to contribute to winning baseball. So you can't keep the pressure off him all season because if he starts to make these strides, you have to see, okay, now that he's had some success, can he handle the pressure of people actually expecting something from him moving forward? Yeah, uh, there's, there's more meat on this Twins bone. We've got to talk about... How Nelson Cruz is just like all of us when we get back. Can we not use food analogies today? Meat on the bone. Are you okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm recovery. Let's just put it that way. All I've eaten today, literally all I've eaten today, I had a, uh, a teaspoon of peanut butter and half a bowl of oatmeal with uh, peaches and bananas. And then I've just like whenever I feel a little bit of hunger coming on, I eat like two almonds. Like all day long. That's all I've eaten is like almonds and oatmeal. How are you digestively today without... I'm- Getting too graphic. Yeah, we did that yesterday. Um, I'll just say two trips to the pen. Two trips to the pen for the manager this afternoon. So you're down to nothing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, basically. All right. And one trip to the pen last night when I got home. Okay. Yeah. Only one? Yeah. Thought you might have spent the whole night in the pen. Before I went to Nico's house. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, a quick pothole season update. <laughs> pothole Watch 2019, courtesy of Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. So uh, so now on my way uh, to and from, well, actually, it's, it's the, the one way to uh, the Score North Studios. So they, they at one point put cones in front of and behind one of the nine-foot-deep potholes. And now I think like both cones have just been swallowed up uh, by the pothole. So we're, we're back dodging potholes on university. So if potholes have gotten the best of you and your vehicle, they can mess up your alignment. They can cause damage that you can't really see, which can cause bigger problems later on. So if you're hitting a bunch of potholes and you're you're dodging this season, bring your car into Luther Brookdale Toyota. Have Steve and all the guys check on your vehicle just to make sure that things are the way they should be. It's the best service department in the Twin Cities helping you through this tumultuous pothole season. 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. We are Mackie and Judd with Rami. Touch them all. The thing I keep hearing about Miguel Sano is he gets it when it comes to conditioning and nutrition. Do you believe that he gets it, Derek? It would be great for the Twins if that's the case. But I think you're kind of just rooting for that. Look, it's possible that Sano has sort of had this light bulb moment, but we just can't know for certain until months later, maybe years later, in fact. I'm just a little bit skeptical right now after the number of times I've heard that. Touch them all. Touch them all. Here, score north. ScoreNorth.com. Thank you, Jonathan. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami here on the all-new Score North on 1500 and ScoreNorth.com. Getting you primed for opening day tomorrow at Target Field. Twins take on the Indians. And Score North will be live from Kieran's Irish Pub from noon until 6 p.m. for the Twins season opener. We'll have a two-hour touch them all from noon to 2. Matthew Collar out there from 2 to 4. And then Mackie and Judd with Rami, 4 to 6 as usual. So if you don't have a ticket to the game, come on out and uh, watch it with your friends from Score North. Judd was out at Target Field for all the pre-opening day festivities today, including 
Rocco Baldelli's press conference where he revealed nothing. He's playing the espionage game, and I like it. Oh, Byron Buxton. We also talked about Byron Buxton. Yeah, open book him, on Buxton. Him being in the uh, lower part of the order, at least for the time being, and <laughs> having an everyday job. Anything else? I that, hope he hits ninth all year long and you go nuts. I will lose my mind. I will absolutely it wouldn't bother me, really. lose my mind. They're, they're an well, analytically forward organization that wouldn't keep their best hitter yeah, in the nine hole. That's though, why so. it would drive me crazy. Like, yeah. Gardenhire... I get it. Like old school baseball guy. Okay, I get I yeah. get why he's doing that. I don't agree with it, but I get it and I would still lose my mind, but yeah. this forward thinking franchise and this this young new manager who comes from an analytics driven organization, if they if they stuck to those guns. What if he just goes old school though? Just oh. decides, you know what? Bleep this stuff. I'm an old school guy. He's, he's, Byron's he, hitting he, eighth he, or ninth. He wamboozled the Twins into. <laughs> I got Redmond back. He's hitting third today. It's a day game after a night game. No one can change me. In his job interview, he made up like three new, <laughs> three new acronyms for analytics. Like, he's like, guys. this Tampa Bay thing's ridiculous. <laughs> I hate all this stuff. Let's go old school. Uh, so the, the th- third thing I got was was although. Rocco wouldn't confirm this. It looks like to start the year, Max Kepler will hit first. Do you like that? I don't. Okay. I don't hate it. I'd like a higher OBP guy to be leading off, but I think what they're saying is Max Kepler, what what he's supposed to be is a high OBP guy who makes contact and puts the ball in play. And so I think what Max Kepler is supposed to be, like the guy that they think they're signing to a long-term contract him batting leadoff for me is totally fine. So the we don't know what the lineup is yet, so it's hard to say like, oh well, why isn't this happening? Uh, but I, there's probably a couple other guys that the Twins aren't super loaded with on base percentage guys now that Joe Maurer's gone. I mean, Jonathan Scope's not really an on base percentage guy. Um, Nelson Cruz is an on base percentage guy, but you want him driving people in. You don't necessarily want him batting first. But teams are moving further and further toward unorthodox number one and number two hitters. And actually, the, the number two hitter for most teams is just the best hitter. And and since we're talking about analytically forward teams, the analytics would show you you're supposed to bat a high OBP guy first, your best overall hitter second, and then like a power guy that doesn't need to get on base a lot, like just maybe like your fourth or fifth best hitter, but he's got some pop in the three hole, and then another really good hitter in the four spot as opposed to traditional thinking, which is speed. Number one guy who can handle the bat whee, whee, whee. knows how number to lay two. down a bun. Yeah. You can get a guy to second mm-hmm. base, put him in Castilla, score, right? score in position. And then your best hitter. Number three, yeah. they're saying, well, wait a second. Why not just move your best hitter up so that he has 30 or 40 more plate appearances throughout the course of a year. So I don't know. There's the twins. It's been a long time since the twins had an obvious leadoff choice. Even Joe Maurer, with his high on base percentage, wasn't the obvious leadoff choice because he wasn't fast, and uh, so like the obvious because you would like to have some speed in the leadoff spot to create some ideally. problems for the opposing pitcher and the yes. defense. Ideally, yes, but the more important thing is a high on base percentage. Yes, like Denard's span was probably the last obvious combination of on base and speed right. that the Twins had in the number one spot. Right, and there's a few around the league you could point to. Well, Johnny Damon, for a long time, even before analytics, Johnny Damon was speed, he was power, he was on base percentage. If you have one of those guys, awesome, but most teams don't have that. He was total grit, package. too. He was grit, yes. He looked like a, a lot caveman. of grit from Johnny Damon. <laughs> he looked like an unfrozen caveman lawyer. So, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say because you don't know what Kepler's going to be. You don't know what Buxton's going to be. Now, okay, if Byron Buxton starts to become an on-base machine, yeah. he should bat leadoff. 
Because once he gets on base, he's on second, and then he scores on an infield single. And bottom line, like even if you don't abide by all those rules, just put your three best hitters one, two, three. Yeah, that's that's really all I want out of the lineup. Just put your three best hitters one, two, three in some order, and let's go. And yeah. and that's why I was saying about Byron Buxton, you can't leave him in the bottom of the order all season yeah. long if he's if he's if he's if he's raking. You just can't. Yeah. Uh, what about okay, Nelson Cruz? Okay, this is the secret fourth, to success. This is the fourth thing. So so uh, before Baldelli talked to us, Nelson Cruz gave a press conference, and Sid had the I, first question I heard. Oh, Sid was on fire today. Sid was Sid was Whoa. on fire today. Did, did ninety nine and fastballs <laughs> all over the place? Did I read right that Sid asked Nelson Cruz if you're so good, why did the Mariners let you go? Yes. And, <laughs> And Nelson Cruz said they didn't want me. Yes, he did. Oh yeah, Sid was uh, Sid had had the fastballs all afternoon long. Anyway, Nelson Cruz. So in the course of a press conference that probably it didn't go that long. Let's say it went about to the uh, six minute mark. Nelson Cruz was asked a bunch of different ways about the secret to, to his success at his age. And I'm not kidding you guys. I think no fewer than five times he brought up something that for the first time in my life made me feel like I am on par with a professional athlete. He kept bringing up his naps. <laughs> How important his naps were. And they, and they asked him, was it Sid or somebody said, well, have, have you picked out your napping place in the clubhouse? And he said, I haven't seen it yet. But at first I thought it was sort of just a, a bit of a bit. It wasn't. This man loves his naps and has become my favorite player in town now. He's one of us. Almost oh, definitely. You think these guys just kind of roam around like robots all day and work out and take batting practice? They nap. They catch up on sleep. They sleep like 10 hours a day. Le- LeBron James, doesn't LeBron James sleep 9 or 10 hours every single night in some sort of like chamber with no natural light? Hyperbaric. Is that what it's chamber? called? Yeah. Really? He does? I didn't even That's know that. I've heard deal. of the hyperbaric chamber. Upside that- down. Like Batman. <laughs> okay, LeBron James not like me. Nelson Cruz like me. Nelson Cruz sounds sounds like he finds a couch and crashes on it. Do the twins have a nap room? I don't think they do because that's becoming a thing. Like in 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 like I know at Google, at Apple, at like these big successful Fortune 500 companies, more and more of them are are picking up on the fact that if you have you know healthy, happy, well rested employees. They'll be more productive. Let's say they work seven and a half hours and nap for a half hour. They're going to be more productive in those seven and a half hours than had they worked eight hours without a nap. Like we're we're figuring this out that taking a nap doesn't necessarily mean you're a lazy person. It probably means, I mean, if you're using the benefits of that nap, that you're a more productive person. Yeah, you might be lazy, but you also (laughs) could be just garnering the benefits of a good nap. While Rami is talking, Phil, you were writing, I hope you were writing down notes Find a nap room or build nap room here at Score North Studios. That was the note that okay, I good. actually Perfect. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. I think we great. do it all like we did in kindergarten where we have those little nap cots. Yes. And we all take a okay. nap at the same time. I like what you're thinking. I'm cool I with have, that. Uh, I, I should have... stop construction on the uh, the new front lobby there and just start building a nap that room for everybody. That would be great. Everybody. That would be outstanding. <laughs> I have 16 benefits of napping from WebMD if you guys are at all interested. <laughs> I'm sure Nelson Cruz knows them all. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll fly through. It can improve your memory. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, you may be able to connect the dots easier in terms of your your decision making and thought processing. What was the first one again? <laughs> Take a nap. Uh, it might help you climb the corporate ladder when you do a task over and over throughout the day. Your performance gets worse as the day goes on. So Nelson Cruz, the general manager, pretty soon. studies yeah, exactly. show that a nap can help keep you more consistent. Um, it will lift your mood, which I don't think I need to go into any in-depth <laughs> explanation of that. You're just happier when you've napped. Um, you'll be more alert, which is obvious because you'll be more well-rested. You'll, uh, let's see here. A nap as short as 10 minutes can be beneficial, but keep your nap to 30 minutes or less so you don't wake up feeling more tired. That has mm-hmm. happened to me. Yes. Has that ever happened to you guys? Well, it's it, the long naps, and then if you nap, and then it's it was light out when you went to sleep, and then it's dark out when you wake up, that's very confusing. Because now know. you're disoriented, and it's... And like the day has changed. And I've been tired before, yeah. I don't know if Judd's going to like this, but the next fact about napping, according to WebMD, naps are better than caffeine. If you're feeling tired but have work or studying to get done, you may be better off taking a nap than sipping a coffee. Do them both. <laughs> Best of both worlds. I can do them both. So people have accused Nelson Cruz for a long time of, uh, how do you hit this many bombs late in your career? Yeah. You know, what kind of kind of testing do we need to do on Nelson Cruz? It's, it's naps. Yes. It's naps and BP, baby. Well, I mean... He didn't test positive for naps earlier in his career. Well, well that's right. He did. He did get suspended. He had it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a good point. That's what he got. Maybe it's both. He got. He got. He got stuck while he was sleeping. Somebody that. That's what it was. It was sabotage. And you know what? If he hits forty bombs, I don't really care how he does it. Naps, no, you don't. whatever. Anyway, so yes, he loves naps. All right. Yeah, he's a uh, he. Uh, that's a that's a really un- people. A lot of people have ripped the twins for why don't you go spend a multi year contract, a hundred million dollars? But fourteen is it fourteen million dollars for Nelson Cruz? And it's a two year contract. It's a team option. Team so option, it's a two year right. contract. Yes. But the Jim Tomey signing in two thousand ten was kind of similar, where it's the twilight. It's kind of the twilight of a guy's career, but he's a prolific power hitter. And Jim Tomey did wonders for the lineup. Did wonders for. Uh, I think for confidence of other players, because you just you've got this hulking figure who hits bombs in your lineup, and he's a good guy too, a good guy, and, and, and a leader well. behind the scenes, absolutely right? yes. And Cruz could have a similar effect. Now I don't know if the rest of the team is as good as that 2010 team that won 96 games, but it's a good signing, and it's probably an under the radar good signing. And he's going to get plenty of sleep. <laughs> yes, he's going to get plenty of sleep. I I love it. You know, there was um, there's a a book called Finding the Next Steve Jobs, written by the founder of Atari, and he also founded Chuck E. Cheese. His name is Nolan Bushnell. Imagine founding Atari and I did not know the Chuck guy e. who found Atari founded Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, Chuck E. He I, founded Atari and Chuck E. Oh, Cheese, got, and he hired Steve Jobs at Atari back in the early 70s. I got dragged to Chuck E. Cheese's as a kid more than I'd like to remember. What do you mean? Chuck E. Cheese was amazing as a kid. I didn't enjoy it. What? Pizza and... It's even better now as an adult when you know how to cheat the games. <laughs> Just saying. How do you cheat Heaven. skee-ball? You don't cheat skee-ball, but there's this game with, like, coins where if you put a quarter in and roll it and it kind of pushes them for- pushes the quarters forward, you get more tickets based off okay. quarters. Give it a nice hip check. I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know Chuck E. Cheese well, was still a thing. I thought places like Dave so, & Buster's so put so Chuck E. Cheese out of business. Well, Chuck E. Cheese, I don't know Chuck if e. it's still a thing. Chuck E. Cheese is for kids. Dave & Buster's. Is Chuck E. Cheese still around, though? Dave yeah. & Buster's. Oh, I didn't know that. Kids Dave- go to Dave & Buster's, yes, but... Dave & Buster's the- is the best babysitter in the world. It's amazing. You just sit there and watch sports and like give your yeah, kids that I'm, that I'm fine with because of the TVs. Right. Yeah. I, I have no idea what the current status of Chuck E. Cheese it's is. It's still around. But it was amazing at one point. Yeah. And the guy who founded it and Atari hired Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs essentially forced him 
to not only allow napping and sleeping overnight in the office, but put in showers in the bathroom so that he could just stay at work for like two weeks. And, and he demanded, I need to sleep a certain amount of time, but I, but I might, because I'm such a creative I'd love genius a shower freak, here. I don't know when I'm going to sleep and when I'm going to be awake, so you need to let me sleep at work so I can be more productive. Did you say you want a shower here? I'd love a shower here. For what? Well, because if, if I, I go to up. a wild game, no, well, yes, that too. But if, if I go to a game in St. Paul, I'm driving back, I could call the wife and say, I'm not going to come home, I'm going to sleep at work here, <laughs> and I'm going to shower in the morning here. During the playoffs, those late starts, I would love a shower here. I'd stay here. I have no problem would with that. Would you stay here for like like a week straight? Or, or sure, you just like an overnight once in a while? No, th- this place is fine. Shower, change of clothes here, I'd, I'd be fine. John Jonathan just, slept on the prep couch one yeah. time like in the fall. Well, I would like a comfortable place to sleep. Like, I, I don't want the couch, but... Okay. Can you imagine like the morning shift from KS95 or my talk comes in in the morning and... Judd's walking around in his robe, fresh off a shower and a cup of coffee. And like, hey, guys, for like a week straight. Newspaper. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Cup of coffee. Slippers. Slippers are key. I love I love a good pair of slippers. You see Crisco rolling in from KS95. <laughs> like, there's Judd's boxers, you know. <laughs> hey, everybody. Remote see control. the wild game last night? Remote Eating control. My cereal. <laughs> I don't see what's so wrong with any of that. That sounds like a good picture to me. Oh, man. Uh, in other news coming up in about 45 minutes or so, one of our favorite segments of the week, but the NFL taking steps in the right direction. Mackie and Jeb with Rami on the all-new Score North. And uh, we've got a couple TCL TVs in this studio. TCL is America's fastest-growing TV brand. If you just do a simple Google search of TCL TVs, you're going to find great reviews from credible publications like CNET, PC Magazine, USA Today, Quotes like truly excellent image quality, the best smart TV system on the market, uh, impressive contrasting color performance paired with a wealth of connected features, TCL has arrived, and so on and so forth. We're talking about seamless crossing back and forth between your cable slash satellite channels and your streaming channels. 500,000 movies and TV shows through a simple, intuitive interface. Uh, it's it's just such an easy-to-use TV it is cost efficient. There's a reason why TCL is one of the best and fastest growing TV companies in the world. TCLUSA.com, or you can stop by any major local retailer in the Twin Cities. Mackie and Judd with Rami. All right. Thank you, Jonathan Harrison, the uh, voice of Minnesota United Soccer pre and half and post, along with Dan Terhar. So you guys, you guys on Purple Daily today, you dove into some of the NFL rule changes. Yeah. Can you, uh, can you just sort of sum up this? This uh, the pass interference, so you can review pass interference now. Yes, N- ca- called pass interference and non calls, like we saw in the NFC Championship game. So if there is an egregious non call of pass interference, then a uh, as long as it's not within the last two minutes, a coach can throw his red flag. Yeah, and challenge asking for them to call pass interference. So I love this with a few asterisks. I love the fact that. You can, you can, it's not just going to be that they stop play a hundred times during a game. You have to use one of your challenge flags to do it. So you're still, you're, you're still capped at three challenges or Mm -hmm. two if you, if you whiff on one of them. So for people saying, well, my God, we're going to, you could, you could review this every play. Well, you're not going to because you have to throw a challenge flag to review it. And if there's an egregious call like that, it's easy just to throw your challenge flag. It gets overturned. So I'm all for expanding. If you're already making subjective calls at full speed, 
why can't you slow it down and make a subjective call with better information, right? If right, if these guys are moving lightning fast and it's a bunch of six foot four machines running around with you know two percent body fat, and you're trying to make a a bang bang call when these guys are running 100 miles an hour. And like not to mention these referees are all like they're in better shape than I'll be at that age, but they're still guys in like they're, they're old. Fi- they're in their 50s <laughs> or 60s. Yeah, like they can't keep up with all this. Right. So I love I love the the theory here that we can slow down a tough to call play and make a subjective potential judgment call with more information, which is like a slowed down version of the play. What I worry about is like couldn't you just throw a challenge flag on almost any sort of bump, like where do they draw that line? If there's a little bump, is that and pass interference? This is where I I think that that they missed the boat on one thing that they could have have done, and that's have copied what hockey did with offside challenges because that became the thing in hockey. You got constant okay goal scored offside is close right. We'll challenge. If we're wrong, no big deal. Yeah. That was year one. I believe by year two, they they said, okay, you can challenge that, but if you're wrong or or we don't overturn the goal, two-minute delay of game. So to your point, Phil, what, what I said on Purple Daily was, I think the smart play would be to say, you can challenge it, but if you're wrong, five-yard penalty. Because there has to be something pushback. And there's not right now. There's got to be something to discourage that. Yes, yes, because mm-hmm. because it's such a subjective call. It's always, or I shouldn't say, always. It's often very close. Yeah. So so the next step to me should have been before you throw that challenge flag. Keep in mind that if we don't overturn the call, it's a penalty of some sort. So what happens in the last two minutes when it goes to booth reviews when mm-hmm. you can't throw a challenge flag? Because then, couldn't you, in theory, look at every single play that's a pass and, and see if there's pass interference? My brother brought up a good point on Twitter, even though he was in town and could have said this to my face. He tweeted at me. Uh, you guys are like, literally sitting right next solid, to each other. You were well, so no, hung was, up on this. This is walking to my apartment from the hotel they were staying at across the street and fired off this tweet. I was like, whatever. So, <laughs> But he made a good point in this tweet that he unnecessarily tweeted instead of saying it to my face, which was, say it's a Hail Mary. On almost any Hail Mary, you can probably find pass interference, right? Yeah. So, but referees to this point have been sort of turning a blind eye to that and looking the other way. And, and unless it's egregious and a guy's getting pulled down to the ground by his shoulder pads, they almost never will call pass interference on a Hail Mary. If you slow down a Hail Mary frame by frame, there is contact while that ball is in the air that technically. Defenders and receivers cannot be making. There's pushing off. There's there's shoulder bumping. There's all kinds of contact happening in that scrum when that ball is hanging yeah. up in the air for four or five seconds. Yeah. Are, are they going to review that every time, or will they continue to turn a blind eye to pass interference on Hail Marys via the replay system? They're going to have to call it if it's reviewed, right? This this reminds me a lot of when baseball expanded second base replay. When, when they went from you can review home runs only to you can start to review other things. Pop-up slides. And the pop-up slides at second base yeah. where, and it happens all the time where a guy will slide in, or the second base, third base, you know, either of those two. You slide in and your foot for a brief second, your foot will pop off the base because right. you're sliding into a bag. Like, right. You know, like you're, you're going full speed and your foot's going to pop up in the air. And that for a hundred years was not called, Right. It was not called. Now, if you overslide the base, that's one thing. But like, if you slide head first, that instant, and you kind of pop in the air for yeah. a second. 
We've got these 4K TVs now, and we can slow it down. You see the the NBC It replay that they show on Sunday Night Football, and it's oh, like yeah. super slow, high def replay. And they have like the 360 camera angles, like the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. And we have, and we, yeah, it's ridiculous. And we've got 70 inch TVs in some of our living rooms, and so it's, yep, okay, pretty obvious that that guy's foot is off the base by a centimeter, therefore he's out. But that for a hundred years was not out. And by the way, I still don't think that should be out. Like that's just. Oh, but, how, but how do you? Okay, you got to draw lines. It's a lot a of the time that's just physics. You it's know a what I mean? Cylinder play. If, if your foot, if you overslide the base and you're tagged, you're out. If your foot pops, pops and goes back, not out. I agree. I, with you. I would change that. Yes. I would say if your foot is is in the cylinder above. Second base, you're not out. But like in in the hail mary context too, like there's kind of clutching well, and grabbing, this. and you just allow it to be what it is. Let's let's fix this though, because there's going to be things that they passed this rule because the officials in that Saints Rams game made a terrible mistake. Like they didn't just miss a play; they screwed that up beyond belief. So so the un- unintended consequences that they're now going to face, I think that if you challenge. A a uh, a pi. It should be with the threat of a penalty if the call is not overturned. And to both of your points about a hail mary pass, what about this fifteen yard penalty? One more play. Because are you really going to put it on the goal line? That's what I'm saying. No, but I but but my my point is I don't think they're thinking this through. I think they're thinking. Okay, it's going to be at the end of a game, and we probably won't call it. But the problem is, then we're going to see replays, and we're going to be like, "Why, why wouldn't you call that?" So, how about this fifteen yard? Go with the college rule, so it's not a spot foul, because the the amount of jumping and grabbing that that goes on is not often egregious enough to say the player would have caught that ball. It's just it it's yeah. an interference. So, fifteen yard penalty, offense gets one more play. How about that? I would. Uh, I could listen to that. I have another question off this because, like, I think everything we're talking about is inching down this rabbit hole of how far do we want replay to go, right? How much do we want to open up in our sports for replay? Because we, on one side, we want calls to be right, right? I don't, I don't think anyone would sit here. Well, I shouldn't say anyone. I mean, there are probably five to ten percent of sports fans that are ambulance chasers and just sort of enjoy. A terrible blown call. No, the- but if you like, let's take it out of football and go to baseball for a second. There are people who are absolutely 100% adamantly against anything but the umpiring system that we have now because they like the human element of it. Which, and the human element is mistakes. Yeah, nobody- The human element is people getting calls wrong. But what, we, but what we're trying to fix here is almost every time egregious, awful, inexcusable mistakes. Baseball didn't expand it until until the Tigers pitcher, right, with Jim Joyce. Yeah, Galarraga. Yes. Or, yeah, or yeah, that's right. So, but baseball didn't decide to expand it until there was such an egregious error that they're like, we have to do this. Saints Rams game, same thing. So, so I think just to say that they're trying to fix mistakes is too simple. They're trying to not allow egregious mistakes, but then we go down this path that that yeah. Phil's talking about. Where now we're into this sort of the conundrum of what's going too far and how far should we even go? So when you guys hear the phrase human element in sports, mm-hmm. that we're compromising the human element of sports by adding more replay, electronic strike zone, and all these things. My first reaction, and I stand by this, is I love the human element in sports between the players. Right. For me, the human element is Clayton Kershaw knows what a strike is, and... Paul Goldschmidt knows what a strike is. He's on my mind. 
because I drafted him on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Think about man crush yeah. on Paul Goldschmidt. And then those guys, being elite at what they do, battle it out within set parameters, right? Joe West or Angel Hernandez yeah. having an ego power trip moment, that's not the human element. Now, is it kind of fun to watch Angel Hernandez argue with managers? Yeah, like that's kind of fun to watch. But when you guys hear human element, am I wrong on this? Do you think it's just player versus player or team versus team? Or do you think the human element expands to, well, referees are humans too, and so no. there's another layer of like I the just, call? Like I just said, when you refer to umpires and referees and, and, and cite the human element, the human element is them being wrong, of them getting calls wrong and affecting the outcome of games. That's that's all that's a fancy word for I I I still want guys to be wrong and I don't understand that that line of thinking that you you want you want wrong calls, you want a certain percentage of strike calls or of pass interference calls or whatever sport we're talking about. You want a certain percentage of those to be wrong and I know we'll never get it perfect and 100% right. But my whole thing, my philosophy in life, not just umpiring and refereeing, is let's do as good as we possibly can. Like when I talked yesterday about not taking my phone in the bathroom. And you guys were like, well, you're walking into the bathroom. You're wearing clothes in the bathroom. Whatever's going to get on your phone is getting on you. So what are you doing? I'm just trying to be as poop-free <laughs> as I possibly can. And that's what I want for my umpiring and my refereeing, to be as poop-free as it possibly can. That's all I want. Let's do our best. That's all I'm saying. Is let's let's be best, everybody. Let's be best. That's there, all. There's a promo right there. <laughs> we got ourselves a promo. Jonathan's shaking his head. Cutting it up now. Thanks, Rami. No problem. But when, when you hear human elements, yeah. what do you think? Uh, I don't. I don't think that it's it's meant to invite mistakes. So here here's my problem. I also don't don't want to go to a game and have challenge flags thrown constantly, like on subjective calls where oh it's really close. Okay, there's a challenge flag because uh, Coach Y thinks that he can get the call. Uh, but the Rams Saints game was embarrassing. Like it, that that can't happen. I, mean, it, I think you should have to point you when you throw that challenge flag and there's a not it's a non call on the play and there and you throw a challenge flag. You should have to specify on the. Like on that defender or on my offensive player, this is what happened, sure. and then they go check. But I get, I get what they're doing. Uh, that does not mean that I want to go to games now and see you know five challenges on on potential calls. But if this is also going to be a first step towards not deciding a conference championship on just a terrible non call, then it's the right thing. And so yeah, no, I don't, I don't think. And I don't pay to go to games or or attend games so that I can watch officials yeah. screw up and say, "Well, but that was fun. He he screwed yeah. it up, but he's human." Well, yes, and and there are borderline calls that get challenged, and that that can be annoying. But when you see a call completely bleep and missed, that's different. You know, yesterday I think it was during a commercial break. Actually, we talked about this the Stephen A. Smith bird flying into his window yeah. video and stuff. And, yeah, and we had a conversation about. It doesn't really matter as much in this industry if you're right as much as if you're entertaining. Yeah. Stephen A. Smith is wrong all the time, but a lot of people find him to be wildly entertaining and wacky, and therefore he's one of the richest sports talking heads ever. And to take that principle of being right versus being entertaining, at some point when I watch a college basketball game and the final 50 seconds takes a half hour because they've now reviewed nine different out of bounds plays like to be right and yes i mean i know that i want 
I know that I've been in the camp of I want them to get these calls right, but my God, like this game is unwatchable now because you've stopped it nine times in the last 50 minutes. Where is that line between wanting to get it right and still being an entertaining product? I don't think we're anywhere close to that in the NFL. I get what you're saying about basketball, but I don't think we're anywhere close to that in the NFL. I am on my couch for six to nine hours every Sunday watching football. That's what I'm going to do every Sunday from now until further notice. And adding an extra five minutes for a replay, I'll run to the kitchen and grab some chips. I'll go to the bathroom and, and take care of business without my phone. I'll find something. <laughs> Always comes back to the. I'll find, I'll find something to, John, to do. Doesn't it, Rami? But for me personally, and I'm speaking somewhat selfishly here because not everybody has that luxury or the schedule that I do that allows them to spend most Sundays. Just, just they can be in the bathroom. No strings attached. About? Not a worry in the world. Just watching football. But that's my whole Sunday, anyways. So if it's an, if it's five minutes of a stop in action to get a call right and make sure we got the most true outcome possible, fine. I wasn't going anywhere, anyways. I, I've got a bigger problem personally with the size of the rule book right now and the amount of flags that we get. So it's not it's not the challenge flags. And it's not trying to get the calls right, but the rule book just paralyzes the, these guys. And they're constant, you know, I mean, if, if you, th- if you think about it, one of the most annoying things about a Sunday to me is the amount of plays that come back because of a call that could be made on every play. So it's not getting the egregious non calls right. That's fine. That's great. It's the amount of rules that these guys have. And Zimmer talked about this yesterday in talking about th- this rule and across the board he's right the problem is these are are the meetings where the competition committee gets together and they sit there in front of these uh tcl beautiful hd tvs and they rewind plays and they're like we should write this in as well and so the rule book ends up being the this encyclopedia so if, if i have a problem with how this game is officiated right now it's not ordinarily the officials it's the amount of rules that they actually are trying to get these guys to call it would be really hard to be an nfl official oh, right they, oh, they it, get dumped on yeah. and we 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 sit there and we say that this guy's incompetent and he shouldn't be doing his job and the guy who missed the call in the nfc championship game and cost the saints a super bowl but you know these guys like like you're talking about. It's a phone book of rules, and yeah. they and they come up through high school and college pipelines, and so it's not like they're just learning a phone book for the first time. But it's hard, and it's on national TV, and they're humans, and you know. So I, I'm empathetic, but it also frustrates me when something that egregious does happen, like happened in the NFC Championship game. But that was egregious, and that was, and I'm not saying that those referees are incompetent. In general, or as a whole, oh, they might be, but that was incompetence on that play. And if you look at the replay, there were two referees yeah, yeah. looking at the collision. They were looking at two guys who were standing there looking at the collision, and both just stood there with flags in their pocket like that. That was a moment of of egregious incompetence on mm-hmm. the part of those referees. But yeah, they have an insanely hard job, and not every call or missed call is as easy or as egregious as as that particular one was. Yeah. So, well, we'll see. Uh, there's going to be some interestingly reviewed Hail Marys, I'm sure. And some Zim is going to be throwing that flag, I think, a few times. Yeah, probably. He's going to get mad and just toss it. Yeah. Uh, the Twins have a 25-man roster that we can get into. Is it official 25-man roster? Or are they, are they still whittling it Rocco's down? Rocco's not saying. Because he's been super secretive. But uh, we, pr- we pretty much Rocco's know what the 25-man roster is. And so we, we don't want to go... 
we don't want to stray too far from baseball because that's what's on our mind today on the Mackie and Jeb with Rami show because it's like 65 degrees in the Twin Cities and the opener is tomorrow. We're hanging out at Kieran's Irish Pub. Score North is live from noon until 6 o'clock tomorrow just across the street from Target Field. Touch them all from noon to 2. Score North live with Matthew Collar from 2 to 4 and then the three of us and Jonathan from uh, 4 to 6. Mackie and Jeb with Rami. So come hang out with us. Uh, introduce yourself. Tell us you hate our takes or whatever. Like if you want to make fun of us or you love us, we'll cheers a beer with you uh, once we're done at Kieran's Irish Pub. Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all new Score